1: three two one coming up on the payoff jerry cooney was 28 and 3 as a heavyweight fighter and spent time ranked number one in the world but his biggest victory has come over alcohol a battle which he says he still fights every day in the rooms of recovery helping himself and others this podcast is awesome we cover it all and he is like a real unique guy We talk about things like the hype surrounding his title fight against Larry Holmes. There were actually snipers on the roof of Caesar's Palace. More on that. But also how addiction hampered his chances against Michael Spinks. He also fought sober against George Foreman before retiring. He's got a book out and you can hear him on Sirius Radio Channel 156. But first, a heavyweight in his own right, Kevin Souza. The ocean yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, and Jerry. Yeah. All right, there you are, man. I appreciate it, dude. No problem. Um, yeah, you're talking to me, and then uh, Mike is the producer. Uh, he's on with us, too. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and, and dude, I really appreciate you taking the time.
0: No problem. Now, we got a big thunderstorm here, so I hope it doesn't get
1: fucked up. No, nah, it's okay. We we've had huge storms here in Texas. I mean, it's rock and roll out there today. <laughs> Are you in uh, East Hampton? No, no, I'm in New Jersey. I live in New Jersey. Oh, what part of Jersey? Westfield,
0: Central Jersey.
1: Okay. By the way, you called me out the other day. Remember when I was calling you and you were like, "Hey, man, you've been you've been in meetings," and I hadn't been to a meeting in like a week because I was calling. You gotta you. I was be kidding. Me. <laughs> I was going about 100 miles per hour
0: I could hear that dry drunk shit in your voice bro
1: you could right no nah, you know I'm just I'm just fucking with you <laughs> all right so the first thing I want to ask you is what what's your sobriety date when do we start you re- you didn't start yet, right we can start right now we're gonna start right now you ready all right yeah let's go because I'll tape an intro about gentleman Jerry okay. Cooney and and, and yeah. you know your history and stuff so what what's your sobriety date
0: my sobriety date is April 21st 1988.
1: So that's the day you got sober. I, I want to backtrack a little bit. So what are we at now? Thirty three years.
0: Thirty three years. It was past April.
1: Okay, thirty three years, and you grew up in Long Island, an Irish Catholic family. What was it like growing up in in that family? And was there was there alcoholism around you, or was there alcoholism in your family?
0: Yeah, my father was was a major big deal alcoholic, untreated. And we took the brunt of that because he grew up in, in uh, Newfoundland. He's from St. John's up in Canada. And he grew up with five or six brothers and sisters. And he gets married. He leaves Canada up there at uh, 17, comes down here, leaves up, has six children of his own. And he's a steel construction worker. And back in the days, he didn't make all that much money. So we had six kids trying to feed our way and get through. And he was angry, drunk. And he beat us and uh, told us a lot of negative things. You're no good, you're a failure. You never get amount to anything. Same thing his father told him, unfortunately. He didn't get any help, so he just passed the same stuff on, you know what I mean?
1: When's, When's the first time you drank, Jerry?
0: Listen, when I was 12, I had a bottle of Boone's Palm Apple Wine by myself. And I got so sick, but I made it home. And I thought to myself that night, I'm never gonna do this again. The next morning, I completely forgot about getting so drunk. I remembered when that big hole in my chest was filled in. And I fit in. I was comfortable. I was funny. I could talk to the girls. And I thought to myself that night at 12 years old, where has this been all my life?
1: Yeah, Crazy, okay. right? Yeah, well, it feels like you mentioned it. You, you fill that hole in your soul. Was it a time when, when you did it from that point forward Were you like, you know, are always drinking, or were you kind of the guy who was talking about drink? I, I always say, once I had my first drink, every move after that, unbeknownst to me, was kind of okay. How am I getting my next drink? Even as a kid.
0: Well, I have a great, I have a great son who's twenty three right now, and he, while he was at Lehigh University, going to school, in for an engineering. He got drunk. They drank grain alcohol. He had to go to the hospital. I was praying that he did not have the experience that I had. And that, wow, this is the greatest thing in the world. And, oh, wow, this is unbelievable what happened to me when I was 12. I was praying it didn't happen to him, and it didn't. He's a great kid. He graduated. He's an engineer now. Lehigh is uh, a hell of a so, school. Oh, it's a great school, and he loved every minute of it. And unfortunately, you know, the last year they were in the pandemic, so he didn't get to experience a lot of stuff with his friends that he wanted to. At the end, he wanted to go to Europe and spend a month over there. You know, you you can't you couldn't go.
1: Yeah. So he doesn't have the family disease.
0: No, no. But you know, you. I pray you, he doesn't get it. I pray he doesn't get it either. Yeah.
1: Your your, your brother struggled with addiction too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My whole family. Uh, you know, obviously my my three brothers and my sister, my sisters. I mean. You know, my sister passed away about two years ago. She was bipolar, schizophrenic, and she said the only time she felt comfortable was when she was with a crack pipe. So that's so sad. But we buried her, and, you know, I went out and time the whole family. She was in a coma in the hospital, and uh, she passed. And so, you know, that happens, and uh, it was a hard time, but right now, you know, She's with God, in my opinion, and she's at peace, and she feels great.
1: And back, back to you know your your development when when you were in high school, you know you start drinking when you're twelve. Are you drinking a lot?
0: Weekends, you know, you know Friday, Saturday nights drinking beers. That was really what we did back then. You know what I mean?
1: When do you start boxing?
0: I start boxing at fifteen and a half, and it really turned my life around because I didn't find this out till way later. But when I went into the ring, I'll tell you a story. I was 15 and a half. I, my brother left the house when he was 15. He's at the gym training, So I got to go down and see him. And so we, uh, get to I get to watch my brother. I love him so much. And, and one day I'm hitting a heavy bag out of heavy bag in the basement. So I said, let me go down and put the gloves on. And, uh, I'm hitting the bag good. I go to the gym, meet him. I say, can I box him? And they put me in with this guy who was boxing for six years. He smacked me all around, right? Yeah. So I threw the gloves off. I said, forget It's not for me. But I went home at fifteen and a half, and I went down in the basement again, and I was hitting the bag expecting the guy to come on me, right? Because that's what happened. So I went back to the gym three days later, and I asked, can I box that kid? And he could not do that to me again. So, six months later, I entered into the New York State Golden Glove Championships and I made it to the finals. Uh, I was, uh, it was the largest tournament in the United States. I had seven fights, I had five knockouts. And, uh, you know, I was fighting if I won, Herman Sporting Goods was going to give me a free heavy bag. And I knocked the guy out and I won the middleweight championship. And,. Uh, I drank after every fight one night, and then I would train all week, and, you know, and uh, what I was to find out is boxing helped me to express how angry I was from all the abuse I took from home, and then they put my picture, seemed like every day after the fight, I'd be at the newspaper stand, and my picture was on the back page of the Daily News. Cooney knocks out this guy, Cooney knocks out that guy. So what it was is boxing helped me to express my anger and then they put my pitch in the paper so it made me somebody and that's how I became a fighter and also I watched Ollie Frazier at a young age and I thought wow this is magical I saw Clyde Frazier and Frank Sinatra and Joe DiMaggio at the garden and it was like wow it was like oh man between that and me feeling like somebody that's how it, it was born that i become a fighter.
1: When you walk into the ring to fight Larry Holmes at Caesars Palace in 1982, do you get that, and you're thinking back to, man, you know, I, I watched Ali Frazier and, and, and here I am. I mean, that's got to be an incredible feeling.
0: No, but what happens, I could tell you the most that happens. Obviously, it's a big night. I'm in with a great heavyweight champion of the world. And here's the magic of it. When you're in your dressing room and you're warming up and there's a knock on the door, And the guy opens the door and says, Cooney, you're next. Your life kind of passes before you, and you're figuring this and figuring that. And you get halfway down the the corridor to where the fans are, and you can hear the roar of the crowd. And that's the moment when you become magical. You become alive. You just can't wait for that bell to ring so you can fight. And that's what the experience was to me that night. And, you know, uh, it was a great night. It was 115 degrees at night at Caesar's Palace parking lot, where they built the 32 or 35 thousand stadium, and it was unbelievable. What a night!
1: Boxing, as your career develops, keeps you, keeps you out of trouble. But how does you, how is your drinking developing as your career is?
0: Well, you know, obviously, I didn't really have a problem. Looking back on it now, the night that I fought. Um, Kenny Norton, Madison Square Garden, and I knocked him out in 54 seconds of the first round. That, little did I know that was the night my career ended because that night I started drinking a bottle of scotch a day. And I don't know if it was because I felt I deserved it or I felt from being told I'm no good, I'm not going to amount to anything, that I used it as a crutch to help me say, well, if I do lose to Holmes, it wasn't me, it was the Scotch. It's crazy.
1: It's like the early it's crazy, self-sabotage.
0: It's as crazy as that sounds. That's what happened. And 13 months later, I had fight home. And I was in the fight. We had a, I went 13 rounds. I can only imagine had I not drank and not partied around and took care of myself, what could have happened? But then again, this conversation wouldn't be going on with you. Yeah. Because I don't know if I'd even be here by now.
1: Did you, were, were drugs a part of your story?
0: Well, oh, a little bit, not really. I was a drinker, alcoholic, and uh, um, uh, it took me out of the pain. It Took me away from, you know. Once I had a couple of drinks, I was cool. And it became my friend at twelve, and I was good at it.
1: In between, you know, Ken Norton, the Ken Norton fight and the Larry Holmes fight. I mean, your your life is is on the fast track. Crazy, uh, yeah. It was crazy. What is that like? I was like?
0: traveling tra- traveling. I was at Howard sale. I was traveling around the world. I remember being in Boston, and I Boston's a big Irish community, and I, it was like uh, on a tour for the home fight, and I was in five or 10 feet inside Boston Gardens when the whole, Boston Gardens were playing, uh, again, Celtics were playing with someone, I'm not sure who, and the whole arena stood up and cheered me for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and I got to tell you, how great that felt, right? But when I turned around and walked 10 feet out the door, I felt like nothing. I felt like I didn't deserve this. That wasn't real. They don't really care about me. That's what dysfunction gives you, athletes, people in general. That's what you get. And unfortunately, I didn't have someone to grab me by the arm and say, hey, Cooney, listen, this is really important now. Let's pay attention. I was on my own since I was 17. From my kids, I was 17. I was living in a room for $10 a week. That's what I happened to me. Boxing was my way out.
1: And so you're getting ready for the Holmes fight. And what's, is it still, you're still just, you know, are you, are you drinking to fill the hole in your soul? Or are you drinking in a sense where it's kind of part of the you know, nightlife?
0: Listen, I got four or five or six big spawn partners from around the country looking to keep my ass. So I'm drinking and partying, but not crazy. Yeah. And then the fight got postponed. Uh, I tore my uh, rotator cuff and my shoulder got postponed. You know, a couple, of, a couple of burps in the road. I didn't fight for 13 months. Uh, my last fight was Norton. I should have had two or three fights in between Norton and Holmes. That never happened.
1: Was that, so, that like, you know, a, was that like said, a Don King thing? Just kind of holding, holding everybody? Well, yeah,
0: Don King owned everybody. So I wasn't signed with him, so he didn't want me to gain any experience. So if I would beat Holmes, he's out of the picture. You understand?
1: So he kind of shuts everybody down while you're, you know, yeah. in between oh, two. No. Back
0: in those days, that, that that and also my management, they wanted a the big payday too. So I'm I'm unbeknownst to this. This is all going on. I'm just a kid. I I'm 24 years old. I'm training for the biggest fight of my life. I think about my son right now is 23, when I was 23 I fought Norton in the garden and knocked him out in one round. So, you know, I see my kid, he seems like a young kid now. That was me, fighting Norton. And I didn't have the experience he had. I grew up in a sheltered life. So, but anyway, whatever it is, I did what I did and I made peace with it. And you keep asking me questions because I'm not talking no more. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, so you, you're getting ready to fight Holmes, and there's so much going on around the fight. You're on the cover of uh, Time Magazine, you're on the cover of Sports yeah. Illustrated, you hate yeah. the, uh, they're throwing around the great white hype, that's got to be driving you crazy.
0: Well, you know, it's, just the world is crazy at that time, and you know, obviously, Holmes was mad at me because I was getting all this attention, he was a longtime champion, and he was pissed off he never got it. And he felt that way when, home, when Ali was alive. He grew up at home with Ali, and he understood it. So he felt when he became a champ, he was going to get all that. And all of a sudden, then I came in the picture, and he was angry at me. And I understand it. But that wasn't coming from me. Just like my brothers and sisters, they grew up in a dysfunctional family, and then all they hear out is, how's Jerry? How's Jerry? How's Jerry? And they say, who cares about Jerry? What about me? And that's what I had. I had a culprit too on this side. And, you know, my mother was, my father passed in 76 and I'm dealing with a bunch load of family that I'm have to take care of some way. I got to make it right. And for my mother, getting the pressure from my mother.
1: And so my life was crazy. You said even when when your, when your father did pass away, I read that you were kind of a mentor told you, Hey, you need to spend some time. With with your mom, did you feel like you grew? Even though we're drinking during times like that, did you feel like you were able to grow as a man through that experience?
0: Listen, I did whatever I, I, you know, I, I survived. I did what I could, and I, unfortunately, that was circling around money. I had the money so I could fix everybody's problems. I could put the the the, the, the cork in the in the, in the in the dam, and it was only. And the problem with this, that I had to pick myself off the ground to get sober, to get straightened out, to get kept caught up in my life. And I thought if I could pick them up, then they could get it, then I could get all my life. But unfortunately, in time, we find out that we have to pick ourselves up. But yeah. I didn't get it back then. I just want to fix it. And get on with my life. You know what I'm
1: saying? Your life includes, you know, that Holmes fight you talked about at Caesar's Palace. You go 13 rounds. There's there's a there's a phone in your dressing room. And if, if anybody wants to get background on this, it's unbelievable. The um, legendary nights. You can find it on YouTube. The HBO uh, show really breaks down this fight, and it's it's really awesome. And it talks about the fact that there was a phone for for Ronald Reagan to call you if you were supposed to win, and, and, and that, if you won, and that that pissed Holmes off, and, th- and that adds to the I'm drama.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure, but you know, it's was like, uh, I was the underdog. I was the Rocky in the film. You know, I mean, I I was the Rocky in that fight. You know, I was the guy that didn't have the experience, but I was, you know, I made it up there by knocking out these guys, and I was getting a shot. So, you know, everybody, I, to this day, love the Rocky story. I, 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 I'm watching fights. I'm I'm rooting on the, on, the, on the underdog. You know, listen, fighters, people grow up in life and they have to work two jobs. They got a family. They got no time to get home, not making enough money. They come home and they watch a Jerry Cooney fight at that time who's like a, a you know, grew up in a rough, tough household, struggled all my life. They're rooting for me because if I win, they kind of win that weekend. You understand? Sure. But, you know, that's the way it is. And that's a great story. But looking back now, for me, Holmes also was that guy. Yeah. Holmes didn't get, he didn't get the golden spoon. He had to fight his way all the way up to the top. You know, Holmes never drank, never smoked, never took any drugs during his career. I was drinking at 12. Could you imagine if I would have had someone that could take me by the arm and take care of me, what could happen? Who knows, right? But I probably wouldn't be here right now. I could be dead. So I'm here. I have a great life. I've worked the steps in the program. I've learned about my faults. I clean them up. I talk to other people. I go to meetings. I help other people. And I grow and I'm at peace most of the time. I still got this thing that's called like the itty bitty shitty committee inside my head that wakes up about ten minutes before me. Sometimes it affects me. You know, sometimes I want to go to bed and I want to fight with my wife. And when I do, I got to fight for two weeks. If if I don't and I shut up and I go to sleep and I wake up, I feel different. That's recovery. That's what I want in my life to be. At the end of the story. We pass. So I don't want to work this 30%. I don't want to work at 50%. I'm, I'm, I have this illness. I want it to subside. I want to live and feel and enjoy and help and, and, and be free as much as I can while I'm here.
1: You talked about part of the addiction or the disease. You said if you had won the Holmes fight, you may, you may have died because of the way your life was going at the time.
0: I was on the fast track. Everybody, if I won the fight, the, the owner of Seahawks was flying me by their jet to, you know, I'm sure I was going to Disney, field. I'm going to Disney. So, <laughs> you understand, like, it's just the games and, you know, I believe in my God and I believe that God will out for me. I didn't, I didn't have the tools to prepare me for what was going on. And, and that being said, I did great. I had a a great life today. I was ranked number one in the world. I met everybody I ever wanted to meet. One night at a party in Las Vegas, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope, Chevy, everybody you can imagine. They were at a party for myself and Larry Holmes. I had a dream life. No, I didn't. I would have loved to win the championship, but you know what? Later on, you find out that if I don't check the tires in my car, if I don't change the radiator fluid, if I don't change the oil, and if I don't lose the tires, it's gonna break down.
1: And you said you kind of broke down. the The Spinks fight, the Michael Spinks fight, was a kind of a defining moment. You said you kind of went into the fight kind of sick, just just because you you know were sick.
0: I was so sick that night. And the fight was on. The fight was off. The fight was on. The fight was off. You're supposed to go to camp for six weeks and go and fight. I was in camp for two and a half years. I mean, I I never believed the fight was taking place. I eat Michael Spinks up on any day if I'm healthy. I eat him alive.
1: I'm sick. And what? So you? Was, and you was Was there a lot of drinking heading up to that fight? Just because?
0: Yeah. 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 I was sick. I was sick and suffering. And after that fight, I went out to my my house in East Hampton and I drank a little bit longer. And then one day I woke up at 20 minutes to 11 and I thought to myself, what happened to you, Jerry Cooney? And I quit that day. And I had like this, you know, wow. And the next day, I woke up at 20 minutes to 11 again hung over and I cried out to God and I said, God, please, you got to help me. And the desire to drink went away. And I turned on the television and there was an alcohol awareness week in the Hamptons that week. And George Benedict, who has a Seafield center, very famous guy helped so many people out was talking
1: George Benedict. And I,
0: remembered that, and I remembered that number and I called it and he said, come on down, drive down here. I'll have a spot open for you in the back and come on and we'll sit down and talk. And I went down and he showed me around the place and told me, listen, Jerry, you don't have to stay here. I said, thank you, Doug. You know, you, know, you wanted to sleep in a room with five or six other guys and I wasn't going to go for that. He said, you go out, you go to meetings and if you can't make it, he said, I always have a room for you. And I said, thank you, George. And I, he took me to meetings and I went to meetings and I, I became Mr. AA right away. I was working out, I was riding the bikes to the meeting, I was exercising, I was eating right. And it wasn't the last time I drank because three months into that, that sobriety, I met some girl who told me, you better be careful, you're gonna use again. And I said, are you out of your mind? And I went back out again, almost to the date. And I met some girl, I must've been right when the alcohol was wearing out of my system and I felt so raw that I picked up. I started going late to the meetings and leaving early. And I picked up for two months, went out again, and went on a run. And two months into that run, I'm driving, my buddies drive me to my office. I see a pancake house on the side of the road. I tell my friend, let's go have breakfast. I pull into get a pancake house. My friend, Jack Burnett, in New York is there. He said, he was a bodyguard of mine when I was finding homes and back in my heyday. And he said, Jerry, sit down with me. He said, "This is a tough man. He used to collect money. He was a, you know, he was a, he ran a strip joint. And he said to me, Jerry, today I had three years. I haven't had a drink or a drug. And he said, and you know, you never have to drink again. And I thought, wow, I never heard it like that. But I took it. And that's April 21st, 1988. And I met the sponsor that helped me change my life, who's still my sponsor today, and, you know, I work a tough program, and I help other people, and you know, life is great. I, I'm, in a, I'm in a program to help people not drink.
1: What does that entail? I work
0: the 12 steps. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I uh, call a sponsor every day. I help other people. I you're involved. You're, you're
1: not around AA. You're, like, a part of it, you know?
0: Every day, every day. That's my life. Listen, I don't even lose an arm. I didn't lose a leg. I don't have chemotherapy. I have out this year problem drinking. And I have to treat it. And as long as I treat it, I have a great life. It's not easy. It's hard work. But it's manageable. And I don't have to do it alone.
1: The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado, made for more. Learn more at chevrolet.com slash truck Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. What was it like when you went back to fight sober?
0: I went about to, to fight sober for it for me. I was in great shape. I mean, I I had never, you know, not drank before. I was in great shape, and I'd been promoting some of his fights. And he said, why don't we fight? And I said, eh, I don't know. What I'm going to finish fighting. My I said, you know, I never did it clean. So I went back and trained, and I said, you know what? I'll do it. So I got in great shape, and, you know, unfortunately, I hadn't fought in a long time. I got caught with a shot. But I hit him with some good shots too. You hit
1: fact, him. You hit him with a great shot in the first round.
0: Well, he told me, David Letterman, "Asked him, you know, who's the hardest puncher they've ever hit?" He said, "This every fighter has three great punches: Jerry Cooney, Ron Lyle, and somebody else." And Letterman said, "You mean is the hardest puncher?" He said, "Yeah." But you know, unfortunately, I got caught too. And I got stopped in the second round. But it helped me to turn the page in my life. Say, okay, I had a great run at like this. I had a great life. Let me turn the page. Let me get on with my life and start a family. I met my beautiful wife. I got three beautiful kids.
1: And I'm living the dream. You know, it's cool what you said, and this this speaks to the, the development of people in recovery, right? Like you have you are living the dream. You're sober. 33 years, and I was talking to somebody today, another alcoholic, somebody who has about like a year sober, and something was happening in their life, right? It was, uh, they were just having a situation, and it was making their head explode, just like it would for me, even a little bit today. But I said to that person, I said, you know, this is this experience, you know, seven years from now or four years from now you, will, will affect you differently if you continue to work yeah. a program. And you said the foreman fight, you said if you had had a little more time in your recovery. Yeah, a
0: little more time without a drink. And I understood a little bit more. It was life was too fast. And I was like, I was unsure. And it's just, I didn't have, you know, they say when you get five years, you get your brains back. Yeah. And then it takes five years to learn how to use them. Well, this was like, uh, you know, like a year and a half in, in, into sobriety. And, and it was a lot passing through. It was questioning a lot. And I wasn't, you know, it was a lot. And so, you know, but it's all good. I did it. I, I, I did it clean. I, I had a great time with him. We have, him and I are best friends. Larry Holmes and I are great friends, and I, I have a lot of great friends today. I used to have, I used to have uh, shallow friendships. I got lifelong friendships now.
1: What was that like when you re, like was that was that a sobriety thing, almost like an amends thing? When you, you know, you get together with Larry Holmes and kind of figure out that you guys are going to be friends. Please,
0: he's he's please. Good man. We ran into him in Atlantic City one day, and he talked about how tough the fight was and how difficult it is. And so, you know, he, how good I did and how I was in that fight. And uh, he just had so much more experience than me. When we fought that night, I didn't have any experience. I had all knockouts. But what I learned from him that night, being in the room with him, I wish I could have got a rematch with him and it probably would have changed the course of my life, but it didn't happen. How come, you never, how come you never got a rematch? I don't know why that never happened. You know, I don't know why that would have happened. In today's time, we would have fought three times.
1: But, yeah, you yeah.
0: know, it just didn't happen. But I learned so much that night in that ring with such a great champion. You know, I have a video show on Series XM, Child 156, every Monday, every Friday from 12 to two Eastern time. And we did a breakdown of all the greatest headweights of all time. Those before Sonny Liston, from Jack Johnson up to Sonny Liston, and then from Sonny Liston to today. And the guys who made it to the finals was Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali, Lennox Lewis, and Mike Tyson. And Larry Holmes, Made it to the semis. he was like number two, the best of all time. So I'm not ashamed of anything I did. i I wish I was in, I wish I was could give it hundred percent. looking back. but unfortunately, I don't got that card. I've got to move forward and like no, no life's not waiting for me no more. There's no more do-overs. There's no more practice runs. I'm living in the big leagues. I gotta hold on. It's going so fast. Every time I turn around, it seems like it's Thursday again.
1: <laughs> How did you learn to feel again after you got sober? Because we're so you know we're so raw when we get sober, and the we got all these.
0: We've all called synonymous, and and uh, you know, uh, and Al-Anon and therapy and reading and and uh, the the desire. I was a professional athlete. I have desire. I wanted the confusion to go away. I wanted to find out where I fit in. I wanted to find a purpose. I wanted to find where I belong. And I want to give that to my family. I don't want to give what I got to my family. I want to have the answers and work with my wife to make the, answer, the right decisions. You know, just saying that, you know, uh, anyway, that's all.
1: <laughs> what were you going to say?
0: It's nothing. It's all good, man. Listen, I got the greatest family, the greatest kids. They all can fight. I taught they, they, I've, they, I've made fighters out of my daughter and my two sons. They can fight. They're all punchers. They all can punch like you. I don't want them to fight, but they know how to fight. To spend that time with my kids, I never spent any time with my father. I hid from my father. I hid in the basement because if I was out of sight, I wouldn't get hurt. My father built the ring in the backyard and he used to make me box him and he would have my mother keep time and I could never hit him back. I probably could have kicked his ass at 17 or 16 when I was doing it, but I could never hit him. And Then I thought to myself, I wish I did. And then I found out someone that did and they regretted it so bad. So I'm glad I didn't.
1: You carry that with you too.
0: I do. Yeah. I do. And listen, when I was 17, I had left home. My father found that he had asbestosis from the, you know, asbestos on the construction job. So I used to drive home, take him to the hospital for chemo, and then bring him back. One day, I'm 17, I bring him home from the hospital. He calls me in. He said, listen, son, if you can't live in my house under my rules, get your hair cut, get home when I want you to get home, I'd rather call to the hospital on my hands and knees. That was the last experience to help my father at 17 years old. So, listen, my kids don't have that. I didn't get involved in a relationship until I learned all about this, so I didn't attract another woman that was going to be dysfunctional. I got into recovery. I grew up, and then I was attracted. I stayed alone. I found out what I was about, and then I was attracted to that, and then I met my wife. And we have something to work with, and we love each other. I can't wait to go to bed with my wife tonight. How how married twenty seven years?
1: How are you able to to like find that? You know, a lot of people come, they go in and out, they go in and out, in and out of AA. How are you able to find, you know, your place in AA?
0: I want to get well. I always wanted to get well. I didn't know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I didn't like it. I mean, I had, a, I had a lot of great times. And I, I traveled. I, I you know, had everything you could ever imagine. But really looking back on it, it was all shallow half hours. It wasn't real. It wasn't me. It was what I thought I should be. That was not me. That was being somebody I was... You know, watching TV about that. I thought that's how I was supposed to be.
1: You retired at 32. Was it easier for you to walk away because you were sober? You think a lot of guys just keep fighting and fighting?
0: It was easy for me to step away because I got in shape. I fought forming. I got stopped in the second round by him. And I I answered everything I wanted to have answered. I made a lot of money. I traveled the world. I turned the page in my life. And I, you know, I had minor league baseball teams. I had horses. I had fighters. I promoted fights. I did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of things. And I still am. I still love training people. I have a gym out here. I train people. I still like working with the kids.
1: When did you decide to use your, you know, sobriety or you use your platform to help people? Uh, you know, you started to speak out about it. You, you speak to schools.
0: Listen I, listen, I always help people. I've been involved in charities my whole life because nobody helped me. I was on my own. So if I can help somebody, you know, by going doing a charity and taking pictures and saying hello and playing golf or you have going to a dinner or to lunch and raise money for the people less fortunate than me, Maybe they will get to a better place than I got to. It didn't cost me nothing. A little bit of time, stories, rubbing elbows with other athletes who were great. Wow, they're my story. It's not really been that difficult.
1: So, you know, talking to you now, you really do, and it's part of the program, but you really don't have much of an ego, uh, especially for a guy who was, you know, ranked number one in the world as a heavyweight boxer, was it hard for you? John Lucas, the guy who played in the NBA and had a drug problem, he says part of you know being an athlete, it's hard to get sober because your ego is what makes you so successful. Did you find you had that problem?
0: Listen, I regret I could have been a lot better. I could have been a lot better than I was. Sometimes I, sometimes I regret that. I don't hold on to it. I touch it sometimes, I let it go. Sometimes, you know, you're out and sometimes it bothers you, but listen, this is, my, this is my story. You know, here's my story. I was close. That's good enough. Made a lot of money. Made a lot of friendships. Helped a lot of people. Wow. Look at that. That's more important
1: than anything else. What was it like when you got to know Muhammad Ali? I mean, he was kind of- He was in, a in, great in, man. He was a great man. He told him,
0: he came to my training camp. He said, Jerry Coon's not the white hoe. He's the white hoe. And he was a great guy. He called my mother. Told her I'm going to be okay. You know? Uh, Some Jerry Coon. I met everybody.
1: For you today, what does untreated alcoholism look like?
0: It's a very lonely, sad place to be. You know? You know, it's just running around in circles, you know, just going nowhere. And unfortunately, it's a sad story. And most of the time, they don't even die. They just exist.
1: Did you find yourself when you, you know, you talked about, just popped into my mind, being alone, um, you know, your whole life. Were you surprised at the people, people in the program of how receptive they were when you showed up? I mean, you go there, it's like... You go to a meeting, right, for me the first time. It's like you never met a stranger.
0: Listen, I'm kind of like a loner a little bit. I am great in the crowd. I love being in crowds with people and parties and laughing and joking. I also like to be alone. And so to me, it's just, you know, another day. And today I'm going to be busy. I'm going to have a great time. And tomorrow I'm going to be on living by myself. I'm gonna be alone. I'm gonna have a great time. Do you know what I mean? Like, you gotta just take it as it comes and roll with it. You gotta roll with it. When you-, you gotta roll with the punches, bro. You that, roll. You gotta roll with it.
1: All right, we'll get you out of here in a little bit. I got a couple more things for you. Like when you're when you're talking to your sponsor and you're going, you know, you're going through your your fifth step, your fourth and fifth step. What what was that like for you? You because people look at it as like, man, this guy's a heavyweight boxer. It's gonna be hard for him to humble himself. How are you able to find that gear?
0: Listen, I wanted to get well. And they told me this is the way to get well. I wasn't going to go in half ass I wasn't going to go in partially. I had to write it out. I had to get everything out of me. As a matter of fact, it took... I had to go from where I lived to the city twice to do the fourth and fifth step. I had to get everything out. And I remembered, you know... um, you know, the pain involved in that. But I have to, in order for me to jump over the fence, that hurdle, i got to do the work. Tell everybody. There's a lot of people can't do it. I feel sad to them. I talked to my sponsor about it. He said, it's very sad, and I agree. So, you know, I've got a lot of experience with this stuff, and I try and explain it, but some most people don't have it. Want do you know something? Been around for 33 years. Do you know since I came around, I don't, not many people I know from back then that are still around. You know that? Yeah. That is frightening. That is just frightening. What happened to them? I tell people, you know, those people you don't see, give them a call, man. Maybe they want to come back. Frightening. i never want that to be me. I was, when I was like five months clean, I went through, that guy Jack, my friend, he took me to a, a detox meeting. There was 80 disheveled people. You know what he told them? He said, most of you are not going to make it by this time next year. And I thought to myself, wow, what would you say that for? Right? Yeah. So after the meeting, I went up, I said, Jack, how's it going, bro? What'd you say that to them for? You know what he told me? Because it's the truth. Because it's the truth. And I thought that moment, That chair is mine. i am never giving that chair up. That's how life and death this is. And it's not necessarily about life and death. It's about a quality of life that we're afforded the second time around.
1: I tell people it's like the bonus round of life.
0: Yeah, I get to be young and hard still.
1: Yeah, you still get to... and, And that's one thing, you know, like people... Did you have this before you stopped drinking? Did you think, oh, man, I'm never going to have fun again?
0: I think everybody has that feeling. I you know, I remember around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be driving around, and I'd get very uncomfortable for a while, very uncomfortable. I didn't know what the hell that was. And what I realized was that was around the time when I started to think, well, where am I going tonight? What am I going to do? What am I going to drink? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was the time in my life that I had to work through. And I to listen to other people talking about it. And then I identified it with it. And then it wasn't so powerful anymore. And there was a lot of experiences like that.
1: Did you find yourself like, you know, toughening up? And that's the thing I tell people. that, And I tell myself too. Or I hope somebody else tells me. You keep going through those experiences. They get easier, right? All of a sudden, three o'clock comes and goes. Yeah, and you, you, you don't even you notice trust, it.
0: You trust yourself better. Yeah. You know, you trust yourself better. I don't think about drinking, I think about my thinking, i got to pay attention to at this stage of the game. Because that will me, drive me back. And, then, and don't think there's not people with 33 years that don't go out, 40 years. There's people in the big book that had that time and went out again. So it's not like we're cured of it. It's one day at a time, one day that you breathe.
1: How how were you with uh, over the pandemic? Did you go to Zoom or did you did you are are you able to get to in person meetings now?
0: now I'm going over. I still go to Zoom because I can go to California. There's a great speaker's meeting every day, seven days a week at nine thirty in the morning. I go to twelve thirty meeting in Manhattan, that's a great meeting. The uh five AM club. And uh, so, you know, but I still I go to a lot of meetings, it's coming back. It's coming back, I'm getting out a little bit more. I mean, it's going to, you know, it's crazy, crazy pandemic because part of me hated being home, but then the other part of me got comfortable to be here.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're still doing your show from home. Oh yeah. Sirius channel 156, Monday and Friday. Yeah. And, and, and Eastern time, Eastern time. Yeah. Eastern time. I also want to tell
0: you guys, I also got a great book out there about these life and times. It's called "Gentleman Jerry A contender in the ring. A champion in recovery, Orange Mobile, um, Amazon, paperback is out now, they have got a put And it's a story about the ups and downs of life that everybody has.
1: What moved you to start the uh the, the, the union for boxers? Like that's pretty that that was a pretty uh, a pretty well, huge move.
0: Obviously, you know, let's stop that. it's not going we it wasn't a union, it was a an organization to help fighters get back to life. But
1: okay.
0: you know, it, it this didn't work. It didn't work. And we hired some guys, who stole money from us and so we shut that down and they were try to do union for boxing. But you know, the guys that needed it, they couldn't afford it. the union dues. And I thought, what a great story. If they take a dollar from every ticket and put it in the foundation, that would solve all the problems, but nobody wanted to deal with it. The government doesn't want to be participating in it. They want to be hands off of it. So the fighter continues to be an independent contractor. So there's no really hope for him unless he has a good management team who saves money, which, you know, when you're an athlete, especially a fighter, you think it's never going to end, so you keep spending it. You never had it before, but it does
1: end. Did you almost fight Tyson? No. Never? I knew
0: Mike Tyson when he was 13. I was, I think, 23. You know, he was at the camp there. Customado got him. Oh, nothing that never happened. Okay. You well, know, listen, I would love to fight Mike Tyson. I would love to fight those guys. I wish I could have, you know, been real, full, you know, in shape. You know, like I feel today about, you know, the bounce a grip off my head. I'm. Connected, you know, I know what's going on. And, yeah,
1: unfortunately, it's a it's in company this time around. You know what, I mean? what do you what What do you think about the fight? What do you think about the uh, the Mayweather and uh, and 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 Paul situation? What do you think about that fight?
0: You know, it, it, you know Mayweather felt old, and Paul it was a lot bigger than him, a lot stronger than him, and he used that jab. His corner told him keep jabbing, and he couldn't get in. So I remember Mayweather's corner telling him in one of the six six rounds or so, round. Listen, use that chair, Mister. He said, "I can't. It's not working because the guy was sticking his chair back." And you know, Paul Logan Paul got really Logan Paul. tired. Okay. Logan Paul got tired, and then he made a little got a second win and was able to finish strong. So he showed face and listen. It's a, it, during the pandemic time. It got a lot of people out of their you know discomfort and and all these like. Uh, what they call them, those uh, zoomers or whatever they yeah.
1: are. Uh, what you youtubers. They go-
0: youtubers. They'll you know cross over and see boxing too because so they put some nice boxing shows on. So maybe we're going to see that crossover. Yeah, it and seems like it seems like it's
1: really I building. It's, I think
0: it's here to stay. I think it's going to stay, and uh, you know it's got to be special guys. Not going to go on every month. Maybe a few a couple times a year or something, but. Um, Aside from that, it's all good.
1: Who's the best heavyweight right now?
0: You know, I, I gotta say Fury, Joshua. You know, if if Wilder hits Fury, Fury's gonna go out. You know, they're all they're all bruised. They both they all got knocked out. They all got stopped. They all got dropped. I mean, Fury never got never really got knocked out. You know, and so. Now, listen, it's, a, it's an interesting division. Boxing is great itself. There's all great divisions from lightweight to welterweight to junior welterweight. You got uh, you know, light heavyweights, cruiserweights, and the heavyweight division is great. So we're going to see great boxing matches coming up. So I would say download boxing scene on your computer face and just look it over once in a while and see the great fights coming up.
1: Boxing scene?
0: Boxing scene, it's a great, uh, you know, uh, app to, to hear all about boxing.
1: What's it been like for you to be on Sirius on, on, on Monday to Friday, to have that platform, to have that show?
0: I love it. I, I went there 12 years ago to do an interview, and the president said, hey, listen, how'd you like to start Monday? I said, what? The said, let me think about it. going I said, why not? And i I've having a great time. Because I love the game, I know the fighters, so I'm, I'm I'm giving that information out to the fans.
1: Do you ever think about like your your life today, as opposed to, you know, if you hadn't stopped? I mean, you're doing all this stuff here, today.
0: Most likely, I wouldn't be here. Most likely, I would not be here today. I wouldn't be married to this wonderful woman, and have these beautiful children.
1: How many? What do you say to people who are on the fence about about getting sober? People who, you know, if a guys coming in and out, in and out, and he says, Jerry, what do I have to do?
0: Put it down for ninety days. Go to meeting every day for ninety days. See how you feel after that. See if you can last ninety days. If you can, maybe you don't have a problem. Well, most likely you can. If you're an alcoholic, powerless alcohol over alcohol, and your life is unmanageable. If that's the case, they not start growing up, my friend.
1: Are you involved now? Do you sponsor guys and stuff too?
0: Of course I do. Yeah, I mean it's nice because I really like, you know, you are helping somebody else get comfort, get comfort, get understanding, get stronger. It also solidifies your own recovery.
1: Yeah, it's like you. I get more out of out of that uh, than I do from from almost anything else, just sitting one-on-one with the guy and getting real with him.
0: I also read uh, Drop the Rock is a great book. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's not going to go on the radio. and going to the talk. Drop the Rock and also The Untethered Soul, two great books.
1: Okay.
0: And I'm I'm in process right now of doing a, a, a six and seven step right now for 90 days. We'd call my sponsor every day and talk about
1: it. So talk my talk about your character defects and God, you yeah. know, removing them. Yeah, you're the real deal, oh. Jerry. I pre, I can't, I can't believe I got a chance to talk to you, man.
0: Well, I'm having a great time. It's all good. It's been a good year. Listen, send me a copy of this somehow. On, yeah, know.
1: I'll, I'll send you. I'll, I'll just text it to you. Is that okay? Sure.
0: Or email. You got an email? Email. You can, year. you
1: can text me or email, and I'll follow you on Instagram too.
0: Okay. Listen. You got a pen?
1: Uh yeah, hang on one second.
0: Come on, bro. Get the shit
1: out, bro. <laughs> hold on. Hold on, hold on.
0: Don't be uh, slothful, bro. Don't be slothful.
1: Hold on. I'm not being slothful. Hold on. Hold on. All right, go ahead. huh.
0: At gmail dot com.
1: Okay. All right, um yeah, we and got where
0: the, is this gonna run, do you know?
1: Yeah, it'll be so next Thursday. Or I'm sorry, this Thursday. Um, it'll be on a, it's it's, it's a podcast, right? It'll run on all the platforms like Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. So I'll email you a link to it Good. and you, you can listen to it. You can share it. Do you want me to take the stuff out about drop the rock or can I leave that in there?
0: You can do whatever you want.
1: All right. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure, man. Anything else you want to share about sobriety? I
0: had a great time with you. That's all. It's been a great
1: time.
0: Just send me a copy of it. I liked it. I like the questions. I like the answers, and you know, it's cool.
1: It was All an right. honor. Amiable. All right, man. Thanks, Talk Jerry. See you
0: again sometime. Okay. You got it. See you, Paul.
1: Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to the payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza. And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that.
0: This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.